It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hey, friends, this is Andy. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you by KiteDesk. KiteDesk is the all-in-one sales development platform that lets you manage all of your sales development activities, such as email, direct dial phone calls, your daily to-dos, all in one place to open up conversations, book more qualified meetings, and really create a predictable pipeline. KiteDesk Flow and KiteDesk Find allows us to find exactly the right people in the industries we're looking for, in the roles that we're looking for. That's KiteDesk customer Michael Orfis. Michael is head of sales at Stratified. In addition to the all-in-one management of his sales development team's days, KiteDesk helps him with another big part of his job. We have the ability with KiteDesk to do what we call targeted campaigns. Our conversion rate from what we were doing in the past to what we're doing now has been really massive. So you don't have to take tons of time to research, prospect, then blast large lists of people but never turn into sales opportunities. We're seeing higher clicks, we're seeing higher open rates, and without question, we've seen a massive increase in pipeline generation. So to learn more about KiteDesk, schedule a free demo, and learn how to create predictable pipeline at your sales organization, go to kitedesk.com forward slash accelerate. That's K-I-T-E-D-E-S-K dot com slash accelerate. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm looking forward to talking to my guest today. Joining me on his show is Ed Wallace. He's the founder and CEO of the Relational Capital Group and the author of a couple of great books, which we're going to talk about today. Ed, welcome to Accelerate. Hi, Andy. Great to be with you and your audience. Well, nice to have you. So take a minute, introduce yourself. I mean, I, that was a fairly short intro <laughs> I gave. I always, leave it to, I always leave it to the guests to introduce. They do a better job of introducing themselves. Well, Andy, I appreciate that. And um, I guess the best way to introduce myself is I'm um, a CPA by education. I always like to say I'm in recovery. My accounting friends tend to get a kick out of that. And, uh, and, over a, and the year, in recovery from sales by the same time. Exa- exactly. <laughs> and uh, part of that recovery process is to go into sales. Uh, so I, I spent about 20 years with a tech company as a, a senior executive on, on the sales and marketing side. Uh, the company went from a million to 120 million during the time I was there. So everybody did very well. So which company uh, is that? Uh, Vertex, uh, they're a tax technology business centered okay. in uh, Pennsylvania, but they are global now. Got it. Uh, I was the ninth employee. They wound up with a thousand and counting. So it's quite a story. Nice. Um, it's not, at one point though, I decided that I wanted to strike out on my own, and I really wanted to write books and talk with people like you, like I'm doing today. So um, wrote a couple of early books. It got some, got us some some cachet, and then. Um, about five years ago, I came out with a book that you mentioned uh, when we were prepping a little bit called Business Relationships at Last that really created a space for us uh, in the sales world uh, as a thought leader there and a sales trainer uh, about how to build great business relationships in the sales arena. Uh, when it came to uh, moving that into the leadership arena, our, our mutual publisher, Amacom, uh, said, hey, these concepts apply equally. Uh, to the uh, the leadership world, why don't you do a book with us on relational leadership? And the book is the Relationship Engine, uh, because they don't like to put leadership on too many books anymore. Because everybody has leadership on their cover, so uh, I like the way they did it. I think they did a great job with it. Um, and uh, 
you know, we were talking earlier, everybody's in sales, Andy, no matter how you look at it. Uh, if you're external, you're certainly building relationships with clients and customers and centers of influence. If you're internal, uh, you know, you've got to get some unbudgeted money for a project or you've got to put a team together and get resources that are at will and they're not available at that point in time. Uh, so how do we help people buy and not have to sell to them all the time? And the, the concepts in my books are really about how do we facilitate people buying our ideas, buying our products and services. And uh, this is our 10th year, so we're doing pretty well at the Relational Capital Group. Um, we've uh, evolved to working mostly with Fortune 2000 companies now, and uh, it's been very, uh, very rewarding. Excellent. Okay, well, let's talk about one of the, the sort of core concepts you have, which is the concept of relational capital. That's mm-hmm. the title of your company. So explain what relational capital is, because I think people need to understand that before we proceed into the deeper discussion. Sure. Well, relational capital uh, was defined by academics years ago uh, as, as kind of like the, the value of intangible assets on a balance sheet or the relationships between companies at, at that level. Uh, I defined it at a human level, one-to-one, and I call it the distinctive value created by people in a business relationship. And in every business relationship you have, there are three qualities that can come into play. Uh, the first one's credibility. A lot of the stuff you write about, Andy, is all about developing credibility. I wanted to make sure I commented on that. And, and if you look at credibility it, and you look at the definition, a lot of people will say, well, that's keeping your promises. That's doing what you say you're going to do. It's really not. That's integrity. Credibility is the power to elicit belief. And I was, right. shocked, by, I was shocked by that definition. Did, Andy, you were going to comment there. I'm sorry. No, I said that. I agree. There's a big difference between integrity and credibility. There really is. And, and, and I, I don't believe that a business relationship can go anywhere until we are deemed believable. But once we're deemed believable and we're credible, now it becomes a mutual relationship, bringing in the second quality, which is integrity. Uh, so when those two qualities combine, now you're doing stuff together, for lack of a better phrase. And the sooner we can be authentic in that process, that's the third quality, uh, that's when relational or relationship capital comes into play. And, and, and you know, if you think about it, the, the, more, the, the, the more believable we are, the more we keep our promises, and the truer we are to ourselves, I always like to say, be yourself, everybody else is taken, the better chance we have to build this relational, relational capital, the better chance we have to advance the relationship and, and get some stuff done together. Well, that be yourself seems to be a real challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why is that the case? I mean, because it's, it's, and you certainly see this in the sales world, is, especially with the migration to, given the benefit of technology, to be mm-hmm. sales more virtual these days, mm-hmm. uh, also tends to be a little bit more scripted. And, and the authenticity that I think needs to be there for those one-to-one relationships is harder and harder to come by. And, and I think we tend to, and, and believe me, I'm, I love technology, but I, th- I tend to think we, um, we, we lean on that thinking, you know, let's go to LinkedIn, for instance, uh, if we're going to talk about technology and relationships, I mean, that might be my best example here. Uh, when you think about it, um, you know, I was, I was giving a speech recently and, and, we, and, and somebody brought up, well, you know, I have all these LinkedIn connections. I have thousands of connections. I said, fantastic. Where's that getting you? And he said, it's not really helping me very much. <laughs> yeah, where are the and, relationships? <laughs> right, and and we what we tend to what, what when I say we I'm being a little I'm I'm, I'm over generalizing there, but what 
what I find when I'm working with our customers and our clients, we tend to want to accumulate or aggregate ethereal relationships. And that somehow is like a badge. It makes us feel good. We've got, but, but when you're trying to accomplish something, when you're trying to complete a project, when you're trying to close a sale, uh, it really gets down to a one-to-one relationship with someone. So <clears throat> we talk about creating an action plan, believe it or not, for other human beings who come into our goals. So you know, we'll ask you, what are your goals for the year? Give us two or three. Now attach a human being or human beings to each goal. And now let's create a plan for that relationship. And it's that simple. And would you believe that... Um, you know the the latest research that we've we've uncovered about relationships are is that forty five percent relationships the best relationships so think about your best business relationship Andy it's really only working at forty five percent of its potential if you fall within the average of everybody else mm-hmm. so there's so much room there and and relationships are difficult they're awkward they take time everybody's like well you know i'm not sure the return on investment yet but the same survey says 90% of executives believe it's the secret to their success and their team success they just don't think about it in terms of process they don't think about it in terms of what i call intentionality in the book right which we're going to get into but before we sure. get there is, is mm-hmm. so how do you how do you measure the potential of a relationship how do you measure the potential or measure the strength um, well you're saying the 45% we're only using 45%, exercising 45% of the potential of the relationship. Well, think about it. Um, let, let's just use an, uh, an example. Let, let's, uh, I, I can use an example from our own business. Um, we've got a lot of customers, and um, we tend to sell them a program, and we tend to satisfy their needs, and we get great evaluations and all that stuff. And I have a, a, a sales team. And, um, you know, I have the kind of relationship where I could easily get on the phone with that client and say, hey, you know what, can you give us some references? I never do. (laughs) And my salespeople never do. Now, your best customers are your best referral source. So that's a great example. That's that's a personal example that we we live this stuff every day Mm -hmm. in our business. Uh, For 10 years, all we've done is think about relationships. We've done all this research. We've created metrics. But at the end of the day, we tend to fall into the same category where we just say, you know what, let's let's go get a new customer. That's an old customer. Let's just get a new one. When the the old customer is the best customer, the highest margin, right? Right. So I don't know. I hope that's a good example for you. Sure. Sure. No, it's a very common one, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We put so much uh, emphasis on, on new customers as opposed to, yeah, let's expand this relationship. Okay. So... Your first book, yeah, you had sort of five steps to transform contacts into high-performing relationships. Mm-hmm. You were talking about establishing common ground, displaying integrity and trust, so on and so forth. And it seems like in the new book, the relationship engine, as you said, you're sort of expanding those and turning the focus a little bit onto leadership. Exactly. Well, in the first book, you're you're moving up a ladder. We call it the relational ladder, the pro the, the process. And you tend to want to take your customers or your prospects from acquaintances to peers or to advisor level type relationships. You want to move up the ladder. Uh, the the nuance between that and we 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 point this out in the book. The nuance between that and relate uh, and the process for leadership relational leader relationships is that. The relational leader, in intentionally thinking about relationships, can decide, I don't need to move this person to the highest level because based on the goal we're working on, 
we can just stay acquaint we can just stay colleagues so the process in 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 the relationship engine which is which is you know all about how how to become a relational leader has three dimensions of relationships laid out in their their colleagues their professional peers which is a similar dimension to the previous uh, process and their advocates and uh, you know let's say you and let, let me give you an example of each one let's say you and I are uh, trans, we're transitioning team leadership on a project within our company. And I, and I got to get to know you and we're going to spend a couple of months together. And that's probably the last time we'll work together maybe for a while. Well, we don't probably need more than a colleague level relationship at that point. We don't have time. You know, time's our most non-renewable resource. So, so, so in, in the relational agility process, which is the relational leader's approach to you know, launching, advancing, and elevating relationships, the, the leader makes a decision based on this goal, transitioning team leadership, not a great big goal. I just need to be a colleague with Andy. Uh, now, now, let's say uh, in another example, you and I have worked together before. We're colleagues. Uh, we worked together on this project a few years ago that we transitioned team leadership, and now we've got to integrate a new product line from a joint venture. In this case, uh, you know, we got to be peers. We got to have a higher level relationship. So again, when I start thinking about the goal and the deliverable, I need a, a peer level relationship with Andy Paul, not a colleague level relationship. And then finally, now a couple years later, we've been great. We've been great peers. We've been working together for a while. You're now on the board uh, of our company, and uh, I need a million bucks unbudgeted. <laughs> Where am I going to go first? I'm going to try to I'm going to try to create a, a relationship where we're, where we're advocates. So relational leaders don't have to go to advocate like salespeople try to need to get to the top of the ladder. They consciously decide this is where I need to be. I hope that helps. Well, even think about that though in the sales context. I mean, if you look at uh, the way things are sort of seem to be shaping up in a large complex enterprise, complex enterprise sale. Mm-hmm. Like the challenger customer, they talk about the number of stakeholders that exist, mm-hmm. and that number is increasing. I mean, it's it's you know five, six, seven people that you have to sell to. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But in addition to those people, I mean, those there's also other people you have to talk to that almost sort of fit, you know, almost all of those <laughs> descriptions that you had. I mean, some are going to mm-hmm. be advocates, some are going to be peers, and some some are going to be colleagues that maybe just point you to somebody else. And and don't really have a role beyond that. Uh, I completely agree. And again, the relational leader and the relational leader could be a an account manager in sales. It could be a you know a high tech sales uh, a, a senior sales executive. It could be a director level in human resources for a corporation. Relational leader can be the receptionist. Because everybody is, you know, everybody can get better at their business relationships. I've I've rarely asked a prospect of ours or a customer, "Do you believe?" I'll ask this question. I rarely hear no. And the question is, "Do you believe there's a strong connection to your team's performance and the strength of their relationships?" We we rarely hear no. And then I'll say, "What are you doing about that?" Well, we just hire great people. And those great people have to then go figure it all out on their own. And, and we try to give them some vitamins. Uh, we try to give them some prompts. We share a process on, on how to build either, you know, customer relationships in the first book or in, internal, you know, colleague-type relationships in the relationship engine. And again, 
you, when you're working in a complex sales situation, back to your scenario, there are subject matter experts around your company who you need your help from, and I call them at will. Uh, because unless they're specifically assigned to your project at that moment in time, you're not part of their plans, Andy. And here comes Andy looking for some subject matter expertise. So the internal relationships you build are probably just as, as important as the external ones you're trying to build with the influencers and everyone you reference on the, on, the, on the buying team. And back to the research, the weakest relationships, believe it or not, are internal relationships. Yeah, well, I think it, I, you have, they suffer from the same thing all relationships are that do that people take them for granted. Complacency, <laughs> yep. Yes, yeah, so, very good. <laughs> so, all right. So, yeah, we talk about relational, relational leadership, excuse me, as I spit that out. So, you, yeah, you define that in the book as someone who intentionally puts the other person's goals and values at the forefront of each business relationship. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that that's a recipe for a sales rep or account executive or account manager as well as working their internal relationships. I mean, it's it's really sort of uh, yeah. You're talking about sort of a give to get. I mean, which is sort of you know one of the cliches that I won't say cliches, but aphorisms, I guess, that we all live by these days. Absolutely, and and the other half of that, Andy, is not. So, so we're not suggesting, and I, I and I really try to call this out a few times in the relationship engine. We're not suggesting that get good intentions towards your colleagues and your customers. We're assuming you have those. The challenge is, the other part of relational leadership is, are you observing behaviors coming back to you that validate for you that they believe that? Because that's when we're the intent, which is the, 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 the number one principle in the book. That's when it manifests. So we can have all the good intentions we want about things, Andy, but if, we're, if the people we're working with in a one-on-one capacity or as part of a team don't recognize that we're really working for the greater good and they're not behaving in a way that validates that for us. Uh, so, so, for instance, a, a great example would be uh, you know, you're working with someone uh, and they start sharing confidences with you. They give you extra meeting time that was unscheduled. Mm-hmm. They, they give you an early heads up on things. Um, you know, one of the things I can, I can offer to your audience when we're finished is they can go out and take a free RQ assessment. And uh, we R- built RQ standing for? Relational intelligence or relational quotient. Okay. All right. Uh, we actually have an objective measure that was developed by, um, by Villanova University's uh, Human Resources Master's uh, Department. And uh, they came up with 35 behaviors that human beings exhibit in business. And we've refined those over the years, but they pretty much stood the test of time. And, and their behaviors like, um, Andy does not respond to my, my email correspondence. Uh, Andy calls me back. Andy gives me extra meeting time. Andy introduces me to people, et cetera, et cetera. So what we're asking, what relational leaders are great at is going in with good intentions and then validating those intentions through the behaviors they see coming back. And RQ is an assessment, it's an online assessment that allows that relational leader to go out and answer some questions about some people and get a report back that says, hey, you know what, you're a professional peer, here's some ideas to keep that relationship going. Or if you want to advance it, here's some ideas around that. Uh, so there's an objective measure. It's an RQ score. And of course, subjectively, we can just look at behaviors uh, individually and say, you know what? I think I have a pretty good relationship here with Andy. Well, I think one of the key things you brought up here, and I think the RQ is, is really interesting, is though you talked about you know, if, if you're not getting validating behaviors coming back from the other party, 
So you think mm-hmm. about this from a sales perspective. If and it really boils down to the three things you talked about up front: the credibility, integrity, yep. and authenticity. Excellent. Yep. Is that <laughs> is that if you're not getting the response you want from people you're trying to form a relationship with, that's the core reason, right? These three things is you know, a they don't trust you, they don't believe you, and you know that oftentimes leads to reasons of authenticity. Um, yeah. Go ahead. A- absolutely. Um, I tend to think that if you're not getting the response you want and it's a newer relationship, you're just not believable yet, Andy. You're just not credible yet. But if the relationship's been going on for a while and and, and now you're not getting the response, I think integrity probably popped in there somewhere, uh, an integrity issue. And um, you know, some research on integrity uh, and trust is that um, uh, Great Places to Work Institute did a survey a while back, and they said uh, they, they studied uh, business interactions. So this is a business interaction we're having today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and when, when we get off and you uh, play this down the road, uh, your, uh, your audience will either trust you more or they'll trust you less, believe it or not. Uh, the their perception of me, the trust will either be higher or lower. And and what the what the study said was that it would be really it's really important for us to focus on every single interaction we have, whether it be electronic or or audio like this or any way we're doing it, because there's a good chance when the parties leave the interaction, trust will either increase or decrease. It's rarely neutral. Uh, so you you're very insightful going back to those qualities. There's something missing. If the relationship's not getting off the ground, or if it's if there if you know if, if, if it slides, you know a good well, example, which is, which is a great thing. I'd start to insert, but I no, mean, no. is is yeah. And I talk about this in my books. Is that you know yeah. Every time you have an interaction with somebody, and let's take a prospect for instance, they are judging you. To your yep. point about trust either increases or decreases, there is no such thing as a neutral. Interaction. <laughs> well, and, and and as I, you know, in 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 reviewing a lot of things you write about, credibility and integrity are huge in the stuff you write about. Yeah, they're huge yeah. in there. Well, an interesting point though you you make is, I mean, you sort of you lead with credibility and sort of follow with trust, mm-hmm. and then you know you have like Amy Cuddy and you know, with her book Presence, where she almost sort of inverts that. You know, she thinks mm-hmm. people she thinks people start with trust and then go to competence afterwards. I mean, is it does it matter? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I I think I'm a big you know. Uh, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey endorsed my latest book, mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. a, he's the he's the king of trust, right? Oh yeah, speed of trust. And, love, uh, the, love the book. Exactly, and uh, um, you know, he he knows that I lead with credibility. And and we talk about that, and I, and I meant I'll say until you're deemed believable, you don't get the opportunity for them to trust you and for you to display integrity and trust. So I look at it kind of linear. Uh, if I ask an audience this question, um, let's use let's use a sales example. People buy from people they <laughs> invariably invariably Andy. The first response is like, and trust comes second. No like and trust, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and and actually, no usually comes third. So, so again, I find it interesting that in any kind of audience, when I ask that, generally, like comes first. And I'll ask, I'll ask the audience, why did most of you say like? And they'll say it's a superset. I'm like, what do you mean? What's a superset? They go, well, it's a superset of. The, the, you know, I'm auditioning the person. I'm, I'm, I'm assessing them emotionally. Like usually comes through first before trust comes through. In, in, in the book, we talk about uh, warmth and competence. 
and 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 um and I think I cite um in one of our white papers Amy Cuddy and mm-hmm. um and and she's she's really big on warmth before competence and warmth right. Warmth generally comes from the way we approach people. Now we can approach people in a way that makes them trust us. So that's probably why she works in that in that down that avenue. But the other thing she writes about, which I think is pretty compelling, is that from the time we were primitive, whenever that was, whatever we believe, at one point we were less advanced than we are today. I think everybody can kind of accept that, right? We may be going back the other way, but just, right. yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, well, yeah, that's another conversation, right? <laughs> um, but, but from the time we were primitive, um, if you approached me with a club and I was in the forest with my family, um, the first thing that went through, went through my mind and in her research and Dr. Fisk research, this has been proven out, is I'm not as worried about Andy's competence with the club as I'm worried about, right, exactly, as I'm worried about what his intentions are. Exactly. So believe it or not, their research, which is so compelling, after all these centuries, thousands of years of evolution or whatever whatever we believe in, again, you got to be careful, uh, that when a sales rep or a business leader or a relational leader walks into someone's office... They're assessing us and they're trying to figure out our intentions for walking in their door. It's still baked into us. So again, uh, I'm, I'm not debating trust before credibility or whatever. I think the whole thing does get down to warmth, which is what, what she promotes. Right. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, I, and I, I think you're right. I think they're really sort of linear. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know that one completely precedes one or the other, but right. they both need to be there. And I agree with the authenticity being part of that as well. Exactly. So, so yeah, you have this this concept you talk about displaying worthy intent, um, mm-hmm. which you say is this, this promise you make to put the other person's best interests at at the forefront of what you're doing, mm-hmm. at the forefront of the relationship. Um, gosh, seems again seems self evident. That's talked about in sales ad nauseum. You know that you got to be customer oriented, customer first, be present. Yet it's it's a hard behavior for people to learn. And so, so how do you how do you learn that behavior, right? How do you how do you make how do you make this a habit? Well, well that's, I th- that's yep. why, that's why I want people to focus on, right? How do I make mm. you know integrate this into what I do and make this a habit, displaying this worthy intent? Well, I I finished that particular chapter in the book with trust is the inevitable consequence of worthy intent. And I'm kind of proud of that line. I don't know how I invented that line because an inevitable consequence and trust seems like they're negatives, right? But, but ultimately, um, when we go into interactions, you know, the fastest way, I believe, to start getting to credibility is asking questions that are very relevant and very topical to the person you're talking with. Not, oh, uh, you know, I see you like golf, uh, that that's probably not maybe, like like when we started talking before this recording, Andy. Uh, you you asked me some really great questions. Uh, I felt this is a warm guy. Uh, he's got best his good intentions towards me to try to help him with this with this podcast today. Uh, it, it was very comfortable. And and how do we create that kind of experience for the people we're working with? And, 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 and it gets down to, we certainly go in with good intentions, 
but the way we conduct that interaction is important. And, and we have a concept called relational GPS. Uh, which I love, by the way. I think it's a great, a great mnemonic for people to remember, especially salespeople, because it, exactly. it directly applies to customers. It, it cuts through. And, and, and again, uh, this concept has been adopted by uh, customers of ours around the world now because it's so darn simple. In general, everybody you work with has business and personal goals. That's the G. Causes or passions, that's the P, things they care deeply about, and or struggles. And I've never run into anybody who doesn't have struggles in life. Goals, passions, struggles, GPS, Goals, right? GPS. And I call it the universal framework for every business relationship because it can cross generations. A boomer can talk to a millennial and learn GPS and have a better chance to have a relationship with that person than they can just kind of ad-libbing it. So relational leaders by being intentional initially with the first principle, which is worthy intent, uh, and, and, and you know, how, how do I do that? Uh, of course, I go, have good intentions towards Andy. How do I do that? Well, I'm going to try to learn some of Andy's GPS in this. I'm not going to say, hey, Andy, what are your goals, your passions, GPS? and struggles, <laughs> right? You know, and it's really funny because we'll work with young salespeople sometimes, and, and they'll email yeah, me sure and say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm going to a first meeting. Uh, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask Andy about his GPS. I'm like, I don't know if you want to phrase it quite that way. <laughs> um, but 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 it, you know, I learned several things about you as you were asking me questions earlier. I, I and 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 the simple way to do it is, you know, as you're taking notes when you're in that conversation, write the acronym vertically GPS on a piece of paper, and start jotting down. Oh my gosh, Andy shared a goal with me. I guess I'm becoming credible. Uh, and, and, and we love it when our customers are able to learn goals from their customers or their colleagues. But we don't give as many points for that, Andy, as when Andy shares a struggle with me. Right. Because that's when Andy's saying, hmm, this guy's provoking some thought on my part. I like the way he's handling this conversation. I'm not afraid to let him go around the company and, and make and, and it'll he'll make it'll make me look better than maybe someone else that I might send around. So we give a, a lot of points for struggles. And ultimately, if you can get to passions, which that's a longer term thing when they start sharing their charities or things about their family or maybe their career is their passion, then you've really, you know, you've really locked up a great chance. Or, or what I call you've competitor-proofed yourself because almost anything they share, except maybe their political opinion, let's say, or their opinion about something else, falls into one of those three categories. So it simplifies things uh, because there's so much information that uh, you know salespeople, leaders are trying to figure out and process today. You know, the universal framework, relational GPS, three simple letters, write a note down next to each one and bring that up or use that for research in, t in, in time for the next interaction. You do more of that. And again, in, in the relationship engine, in the, in the relational agility process in there, that's how colleagues launch their relationships and start displaying worthy intent. Long answer to your original question. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's also, it's also how... For people in the audience, it's also how people in sales build a relationship with a prospect and with a customer. Oh, yes. Because, because you know, the customer is not – if you, as, as Ed said, if you write down on one side of your piece of paper or your, however you're taking notes on your iPad, is goals, passion, struggles. You know, those translate into a business sense, right? Like yes. Customers have goals. They have things that they're, you know, passionate about 
achieving within their business that that maybe is not uh, you know in the prime focus of what needs to be accomplished. But if they could accomplish that as well, mm-hmm. that would be fantastic. And obviously, struggles, you know, pain points, and so on. They're trying to address is you're not going to get those answers though without trust and credibility being there first, right? This is okay, what yeah. people. This is what people in sales have a hard time understanding first is that you a customer is just not going to tell you everything just because you're there, mm-hmm. right? Just because they've agreed to meet with you, it doesn't mean they're going to open up and and tell you. And and uh, my good friend Mark Hunter, who's also another Amicom author, you know, talks about. You know, he knows that that he's on the right track with a customer when they do share something in confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Something they're not telling. You know, that is that to him. That's the key. That wow, that's the first step to being a qualified prospect for me because I've I've you know gone across that chasm there, and they've they've entrusted something confidential to me. Think about. It. I I know that um, a lot of your audience works with business owners. Uh, think about it. If you can get a business owner, if you can ask him the, the questions in, in the right way to, um, we call them learnabouts, by the way. We don't call them questions. If you can come up with the right learnabouts that create credibility for you with that business owner, they're going to get to passions about their business a lot faster than maybe a vice president of a corporation that you're trying to have, you know, work with to buy something from you. Uh, the business owners are very passionate about their business and they, they like talking about their business. I love talking about my business. You love talking about your business. And, um, and, and when, when, a, when someone who is, is a vendor who's trying to become a, create a relationship with us, when they ask the kind of questions that get us talking in that direction, uh, you know, all the more powerful. Um, you want an anecdote? A real You want a ten million dollar anecdote on GPS? Do, do sure, that's ten million. We'll we'll conclude with that. Okay. Oh, this, we'll conclude this first segment of the show with that. Okay. So, um, I was working with a customer a few years ago, large company, uh, multi billion dollar company, and uh, we, we were working with their account managers, and um, uh, part of the process was for them to learn the GPS of their of their customers. So we conducted uh, some, some instructor-led training, we did some coaching, and we bring everybody back in three months and we have them profess what they did, the actual work, how they apply these concepts. So when we got to this, we got to the follow-up uh, workshop, uh, the VP of sales got up and he says, I want, I, I want Nick to tell his GPS story. So I didn't even have to facilitate anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this, this guy, Nick, got up in front of the room. And, and by the way, in the workshop, Nick was not very active. Uh, but apparently, he paid a lot of attention. And they were about to lose a $4 million account uh, because of the, 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 the degradation of the relationships between sales leadership and any account manager they put on this particular account. This vice president wanted nothing to do with this account. And it, it was a very difficult account to fire, by the way, but they were going to fire them. $4 million a year. So this uh, VP of sales uh, said, you know, he had nothing to lose. He put this young guy, Nick, on it. And, and Nick goes in and he just starts applying this idea of learning about this person uh, who was about to fire them. Uh, after those three months, uh, Nick learned so, what Nick learned was that this person was concerned that there's going to be a merger and he was going to lose his job and not become COO and that Nick's company was making him look bad in that process. Uh, once Nick learned that and, and the fellow opened up to him, uh, the, things started getting resolved. And a, I think it was four months. After four months, Nick saved the $4 million and the VP of sales got up and he announced that we're going to get another $6 million 
from this guy's, the customer's customers who he's requiring to use our services. It was a storage, a data storage company. So they were going to lose four. They wound up uh, taking it to 10. And, and Nick stood up and he said, you know, I just, I just went in and started trying to learn about him. And I started applying this GPS concept. Um, so there's a, there's a real life anecdote where if you just, you keep it simple, you learn some things about the person, they start opening up to you. Now you know how to solve some of their problems. And uh, the, 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 the funny part of the story is uh, the customer still didn't like the vice president. So <laughs> when, this, when this all got resolved and, and the business escalated again, uh, he left the vice president this message. And I'll never forget this quote. Uh, John, this is so-and-so from you know, whatever company. I can't, I can't name them. Um, we just re-upped your contract, and I'm making everybody else use your stuff too. So there. And he slammed the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like you know like is a is a relative term in this, but so <laughs> but the point about Nick is is back to your story is is clearly he had credibility right in order to mm-hmm. be able to have the person open up and and this is the thing that that I keep stressing on the show and in my writings for you know the audience that are listening is you know credibility comes from in part knowledge right to be able mm-hmm. to elicit belief people have to understand and believe that. That you know mm-hmm. something about their struggles, you know something about what they're trying to achieve, and and it requires a certain specialization, yep. right? a certain knowledge set, and so um, yeah, everything I talk about in terms of why I believe is you know the era of the specialist in selling is is really coming into being is is supported by what what you're talking about here is is it's an easier path to credibility, certainly. You know, enhances. You know, if you have integrity to go along with it, that enhances it. And you know, if you the customers know if you know what you're talking about, that's you know, if you are being yourself and being authentic, they know that. And you know, when you you talk about absolute responsiveness, mm-hmm. and 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 I believe that it starts with those. And it, it's not once they're customers. <laughs> it starts with the way you conducted that first interaction. Exactly, and, and how you prepared for that. That shows you're going to be responsive. You came in and asked the kind of questions they haven't probably been asked before. And all of a sudden, their, their, their emotional assessment of you is changing. I, you know, I, I forget what the exact statistics are, but you know, 75% or so, according to the Wharton School of Buying Decisions, are, are emotional. When everybody keeps telling us they're rational, but they're not. They're 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 assessing your tie, the gel in your hair. In my case, well, uh, yeah, they're you know the way you ask and whether you were prepared or not. Uh, and and you mentioned authenticity earlier, and I wanted to get back to that. And and your your comment here a minute ago just teed that up. I think in the case that I shared, Nick was very authentic with this VP. I think he went in, he's a young guy. He didn't go in uh, indicating he knew everything because he did it. I think he was really authentic about that. And I, th- I think somehow this, this person looked at it and connected like, well, you know what? Uh, I've been really hard on this cust- on this company, on this vendor, but you know, why would I be hard on this kid? And exactly. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, zero went to ten million, and that's a that's a real number. <laughs> that's a real number. Right? That's a real number. Ed, this is the we've come to the last segment of my show where I ask some standard questions of all my guests, and the first one is is a hypothetical scenario where in the scenario you Ed have just been hired as VP of Sales at a company whose sales have stalled out, and mm-hmm. they want to hit the reset button and get things on track, and CEO is very anxious for this to happen. So what? Two things could you do your first week on the job 
that can have the biggest impact? Uh, the first thing I would do is I would I would reach out to my team and and try to launch or establish some type of relationship with them because sales stalling I'm not humanly going to be able to do that all by myself. Mm-hmm. So I would reach out internally, get my key team members, and and talk to them, find out what's going on. The next thing I would do is go reach out to my customers and find out why they stayed with us, even though sales are selling. What is it about our process? Is it what is it about our sales approach? And um, you know, one of the uh, one of the one of my great friends, Tom Feeney, the CEO of SafeLight Autoglass, who uh, he uh, he's in our book. Uh, he's a true relational leader. He's always been an advocate of ours. Uh, he. Um, he still goes on sales calls from time to time. Now, this is the CEO of a billion-dollar-plus company because mm-hmm. he loves the interaction. And, and one of his questions when he gets together with a, a prospective customer, not necessarily a customer, but let's, let's face it, there's probably a ton of prospective customers sure. in the scenario that you're, you're talking about. He'll say to them, you know, what are the, what are the, what are the top two or three criteria you look for in a, in, in a vendor? And... and it seems like a very simple question, but when we put our customer, our prospect in the role of an expert, they're going to share with us reasons they buy from other people, and that'll help us understand why they might or might not be buying from us. Uh, and and I, I find that interesting. So, so, so I think you need to assess you, you know, intentionally where are you relationally with your own team. Mm-hmm. And and then where is your team, or where are we relationally with our customers? And then that also then uh, transitions over to our prospects. But okay. I, w- I would not worry about metrics. I would not worry about sales training. I would not worry about anything other than where do we stand relationally with those two uh, main constituencies. All right. Excellent answer. So now some rapid-fire questions. You can give me one-word answers or elaborate a little bit if you wish. So the first one is when you, Ed Wallace, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Listening. Who's your sales role model? Oh, uh, Max the taxi cab driver in my previous book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you and Scott McCain have taxi cab drivers, I think, as sales role models. Um, What's the one book, every, besides your own, one book every salesperson should read? Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. It's about right. 12 pages. <laughs> All right. Excellent. All right. So last question. What music's on your playlist these days? Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm going to have to give this up to you now, Andy, but I am a closet Rolling Stones nut. Uh, so everything I play is that. everything I play is vintage Rolling Stones. I've been to four or five concerts, and uh, it's just amazing to me. Uh, I can stand up and do a keynote talk, and I am exhausted after one hour. And I watch these uh, and all rock guys in their seventies, yeah. and they're out there four nights in a row for three or four hours. Yep. So uh, I, I'd say the Rolling Stones uh, they they would be my group, and uh, always right. been, always been a Beatles fan too. Excellent. All right. Well, good. Well, Ed, thank you very much for joining me today. Tell people how they can connect with you. Oh, thanks. Uh, you can reach me at Ed Wallace at relcapgroup.com, R-E-L-C-A-P-G-R-O-U-P.com, uh, relationalcapitalgroup.com. And um, I mentioned earlier, if you'd like to uh, take what we call an RQ assessment, uh, you can go to our website, relationalcapitalgroup.com. 
uh, click a couple of buttons and we will send you an access code and you can take a free assessment. A salesman will not call, so don't worry about that. And you'll find out all about uh, how strong your top five relationships are. Excellent. Well, good. Well, again, thanks for joining me. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to take a minute and subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate, because that way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Ed Wallace, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business and your relationships. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.